Good morning. Can I be honest and let you into a little secret? I probably shouldn't say this, but this preaching series on Acts is starting to annoy me a little bit. The Apostle Paul is winding me up. Look, it's nothing that he said that's offending me. It's what he's doing. He's traveling. Today we're looking back at the th last part of his third, third missionary journey, and it's making me properly jealous. Since the first week of March, I haven't got out of Liverpool. The furthest I've made it is to Kirby. And I've been going stir crazy. I just really want to travel. I find myself watching loads of different travel documentaries on telly, race across the world. I've started to watch um, Simon Reeves documentaries on the BBC iPlayer. I've even started watching Anthony Bourdain, who's particularly difficult to watch because as well as going to all these beautiful places, he shows us all this beautiful food that he's been eating. But that's the closest I can get at the moment to experiencing new cultures and places. And so when I turn to the Bible for a bit of comfort and a bit of solace, what do I get? I get Paul, the original travel man now you know it seems like he's crossing continents and going on adventures of a lifetime and it's just not fair why can't I do that at the moment well of course Paul's travel is a little bit different to the kind of travel I've got in mind you know I've been wanting to have um, the best luxuries and the most beautiful places the nicest food and drink the most stunning scenery and the most soul satisfying weather whereas Paul on the other hand let's face it he's a man on a mission. And a lot of it, to be honest, for Paul wasn't much fun at all. Far from smooth uh, uh, luxury travel, he endures shipwrecks, beatings, imprisonments, stonings, and much more. Today, we're going to look at the next part of his adventure, the last part of his third missionary journey. Actually, technically, I should be covering a really big chunk of scripture today from Acts 20 to Acts 23. I'm going to zone in on one small part of Acts 20, but let me just tell you the big picture of what happens in these chapters today. It starts in Acts 20 on the west coast of Asia Minor in the province of Asia, which is modern day Turkey. And Paul's ultimate goal, we learn, is that he wants to go to Spain via Rome, where there's a church which he's never visited before, but he's desperate to go. But what we learn today is that instead of going west to Rome and onto Spain, he needs first to go southeast. He's going to Jerusalem, back to the home of the Jewish faith, back to the home of the first part of the early church. And he's going to take several stops along the way. He's going to visit people from various churches that he's planted on his missionary journeys so far. And it becomes clear during this journey that the brothers and sisters, that the Christian family that he meets, don't want him to go to Jerusalem. They're, they're really worried that if he goes to Jerusalem, he's going to be in huge danger. Remember, Paul was once the rising star of the Jewish faith, but now he's public enemy number one in Jerusalem. First, because he converted to Christianity, the religion which was such a threat to the Jewish faith in Jerusalem. But then he's gone around traveling the world and not only that Jesus is the Jewish Messiah, but that this Jewish Messiah can save non-Jews too. And that if a non-Jew becomes a follower of this Jewish Messiah, they don't have to follow all these Jewish laws. They're free from that. Paul is not a popular man in Jerusalem and they're really aware of that as, they, as he visits people on the way. In one place, a prophecy is even brought saying, Paul, if you go to Jerusalem, the Jews are going to arrest you and they're going to hand you over to the Gentiles and it's not going to end well. And you know what? 
in, in, in chapters 20 to 23, that's exactly what happens. At the end of chapter 23, we find Paul locked up in a prison in the city of Caesarea. He's locked up uh, and waiting trial with the Romans, having been arrested by the Jews in Jerusalem and handed over to them. That's the big story of Acts 20 to 23. But today we're going to focus on a particular encounter, encounter near the start of this, of this passage. In, back in chapter 20, where Paul meets some leaders and elders from a church that he previously planted in a city called Ephesus. Now Ephesus is really close to Paul's heart. It's the place he stayed longest on any of his journeys so far. He spent a full two years there in the middle of the 50th, uh, of the 50s AD. And he's so aware of his feelings and his love for Ephesus that he decides not to actually visit himself on this journey. He stays on the coast in a town called Miletus and he asks the leaders of Ephesus church to come and meet him because he's got a deadline. He wants to be in Jerusalem by Pentecost and he knows if I go to Ephesus, I love the place so much, I'm going to stay there too long and I'll miss my deadline. But something that really jumps out of this passage we're going to see as we read. Let's read uh, Acts 20 verses 17 uh, to 27. It says this. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And when they arrived, he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, although I was severely tested by the plots of the Jews. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now compelled by the spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the gospel of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore, I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. For me, there's, there's something that really jumps out of this passage. Paul gets to travel a lot, but he's not on some sun-seeking tourist trip. He wasn't motivated by scenic views and great food and fun times. Paul's All, all of Paul's adventures are for the gospel. His journeys are spirit-led missions to let as many people as he can possibly as he possibly can know about the good news of Jesus Christ. It's his only motivation. So he can say, basically in this passage, what he says to the Ephesians here is, I've done everything I could have done. I've told everyone I could have told all of the information I needed to tell them about God. And as such, I leave you. I'll never see you again, but I leave you with a conscience clear. My work is done. It's up to you guys. It's up to the people of Ephesus whether they listen to what I've said or not. So to sort of put this really succinctly, John Stott, great Christian theologian, says in his commentary on Acts, he says, he comments on what he calls Paul's evangelism in depth. He says, Paul shared all possible truth with all possible people in all possible ways. He taught the gospel to the whole city with his whole strength. 
I want to unpack a little bit what John Stott says there about Paul because it really jumped off the page for me and, and, and really, I think, challenged me and I hope it will challenge you this morning. First of all, John Stott says, Paul preached all possible truth. You know, Paul did never pull his punches preaching the gospel. He didn't shirk from the challenge of sharing difficult messages with people. And we see this in this in this passage in chapter 20, in verse 20 to 21, about his time in Ephesus. He says, you know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to you. And I've taught you publicly and from house to house. And I've declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is convinced that the world needs to know the truth to receive eternal life with God, that they need to know that repentance and belief in Jesus is the only way. Paul knows the words of Jesus himself are true. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. That's the powerful message which Paul had and he knew he must communicate and that Jesus instructed him personally too when he appeared to him in his conversion. And Paul didn't just do that in Ephesus, he did it all over the ancient world. In verse 24, he declares his only aim in life is to finish the race and complete the task that Jesus had given to him, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And in Paul's case, it really is such an amazing testimony. In chapter 22, we get to see Paul actually standing before the Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. He goes to Jerusalem, he gets arrested, seized by the Jews, and he stands before their ruling council and he gives them his testimony. He tells them the whole story of what happened to him. He says, look, I was once this high-flying, fast-rising Pharisee on my way to wealth and status in the, in the Jewish faith. I used to attack anything I felt was a threat to that, anything I felt was a threat to Jew, Judaism, including Christianity. I was the arch persecutor of the early church. He led the Jewish charge to snuff Christianity out until God's grace came upon him on this dusty road to Damascus. Jesus appeared to him. The very Jesus he was attacking appeared to him and changed his life forever. And Paul received amazing forgiveness and restoration and was given a whole new purpose and reason to live. And he had this assurance now that his eternal future is secure in Jesus, that there will be life after death. That when his earthly body passed away, that would just be the beginning to, for him and that a new life was coming with Jesus. And this released Paul to boldly go and tell the world about Jesus, unconcerned about his earthly safety, knowing that his heavenly future is utterly secure and worth much more than his earthly life. And the great truth of this testimony is that it's a, it's a testimony that is available to each and every one of us. It's my testimony too. The Bible says we've all been enemies of God, that we're all separated from him by our own sin, our own bad choices, no matter how good we think we are as people. That's a difficult truth for people to accept, but it is the truth nevertheless. It's a truth that our world needs to hear, especially right now as we try to figure our way through a global pandemic systematized racism, crashing economies and rising poverty and family brokenness. This world is sick. It was sick when Paul ministered and it is sick now and it continues to be. But the gospel promises us something better to come. Jesus will return. He will establish a new heaven and a new earth where pandemics and recessions and racism are no more. God offers us a way back to him. Forgiveness for our rejection and a secure eternal future with him through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus. We, like Paul, can be restored, forgiven and accepted into God's family 
Paul knew this truth and he made sure he flipping well communicated it. He was absolutely determined to tell everyone else. Imagine if you were a scientist trying to work on a vaccine to the coronavirus and you found one. You wouldn't sit on it, would you? You'd tell the world because you want people to be well. This is how Paul is with the gospel. He communicates all possible truths so that as many people as possible can be saved. So Paul communicates all possible truth. He also tries to reach all possible people. Paul is able to tell the Ephesian church leaders he's not being selective in his preaching of the gospel. He knows that the good news of Jesus is for everyone, no matter what their race or their background or their gender or their age or their status. In Ephesus, he says he preached to both Jews and Greeks. They were the two sort of main cultures in Ephesus, the two groups he was able to reach. But if we look at his whole missionary journey, we see him speak to such a wide range of people. Jews, Gentiles, Greeks, Romans, Africans, Europeans, rich, poor, healthy, sick, old, young, male, female. The whole premise of Paul's determination to visit Jerusalem in this passage is so he can go and speak and minister and take an offering to the Jewish people there. Even though his main calling is to the Gentiles, he still wants to go and serve other people. He wants to reach as many people as he can. We're living in a time, guys, of social unrest with racial tension as a result of centuries of despicable, disgusting racist treatment of black and other ethnic minority people at the hands of white people. I read an amazing article this week, which really brought me a timely reminder and tied into what we're looking at today, about Paul's mission to all people. It reminded me that Christianity was simply never, ever supposed to be a white Western religion built on a blonde haired blue-eyed, fair-skinned messiah. Rather, Christianity is the most diverse movement in history. The story of Jesus is the story of a dark-skinned Middle Eastern Jewish man who tears through racial and cultural back, uh, boundaries and offers hope and salvation to people of all races languages and backgrounds. The story of the early church is a story of reaching people from every nation under heaven, Acts 2.5, beginning in modern day Israel and Palestine and spread into Iran, Iraq, Turkey, Egypt and gradually throughout Europe and Africa. This gospel must never be the source of racial division, of gender division, of class division or any other division. It is the answer to division not the cause. It must be. Revelation tells us that our destiny is to be united around the throne of God with people from every tribe, tongue and nation. And that can only happen if, like Paul, we preach the gospel indiscriminately to every tribe, tongue and nation, to every sector of society. No tribe, tongue or nation should ever feel that their lives do not matter they must know the good news of the gospel, that they do matter to God and that they matter to us as Christians. We must tell them the gospel. We must love every tribe, tongue and nation enough to give them the gospel like Paul did. So Paul communicates all possible truth to all possible people and he did it in all possible ways. 
Paul reminds the Ephesian leaders that he was creative and flexible in how he spread the gospel in their city. He says, look, I, I taught in the synagogues, I talk in public spaces, but I also went from house to house. I spoke to individuals and small groups in private as well. And again, you look more widely at his ministry, you may know that Paul was chameleon-like in his approach to spreading the gospel. He was able to adapt to his surroundings and to his audience to get his message across. He would use a variety of methods in which he could to make sure he could most easily connect with people. So when he spoke to Jews, Paul would emphasize his Jewish background, his Jewish status, and then and speak to them from the scriptures that they knew, knew they would understand and appreciate. When he spoke to Greeks, he'd reference Greek gods. He'd reference uh, their poets and authors in a bid to sort of win them over and then bring them to the author of life. When he spoke to Romans, he'd emphasize his Roman citizenship and say, look, I'm just like you, I'm a Roman, but I know this God, I need you to know him too. It was all with the aim of meeting people where they were at and then bringing them to a focus on the gospel. Paul was a greatly skilled and sensitive communicator. You know, there's a famous quote attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, which says, preach the gospel and if necessary, use words. To be honest, St. Francis of Assisi never said that. It's a, it's a myth that he said that. And in fact, I actually disagree with the premise. I think speaking the gospel, speaking the gospel is absolutely fundamentally essential. People need to hear the good news. And Paul found a variety of ways to communicate that. Now, of course, that is a place for deeds and actions as well. We need our words and actions to back up what we speak. And I love, for example, that in the UK, the vast, the huge percentage of social action that happens in this country is done by churches and Christian charities. That speaks the gospel, but we need words. Paul is excellent at communicating the gospel in a variety of ways. We need to be too. So Paul spoke all possible truth to all possible people in all possible ways. Paul's commitment to chat to, to the gospel, his creativity and communicating, his bravery and living out are amazing. But you know what? I found there's a real challenge in this I want to bring out today. I've actually found it quite hard to prep this preach this week. When Paul says to the Ephesian leaders that he's not hesitated to preach anything that would be helpful to them, or to proclaim to you the whole will of God. He said, I never hesitated to do any of those things. I have to be honest and say, I know that I can't say the same about myself. Paul's thoroughness and certainty here that he he can confidently say that he's done everything he could and should have done to let people know the gospel is such a challenge to me. To use a sporting analogy, Paul just left it all out on the field. In other words, in order to win, in order to, to, to win the game, He put every ounce of effort he could do onto the pitch. One of the tragedies when you lose a sporting game or match is if you walk off the pitch and think, I didn't try as hard as I could have done today. Paul doesn't say that. Paul knows he's given it everything. He's left it all out on the pitch. But honestly, if I look at my own life, my own ministry, I have to be honest and reflect that I don't think John Stock could write the same about me as he's written about Paul. Now, yeah, I know I'm not an apostle. I'm not, I haven't got the same ministry that Paul had. I've never claimed to, to claim to have, but I am still a Christian and I am given the great commission that all Christians are given by Jesus to, to make disciples in all nations, to be bold with the gospel and take it worldwide, to take it everywhere, starting with where we are. As I think about the platforms I've had in my life, the jobs, the family and friends that I've had, the different teams I've worked with and done sport with, I have to look and say, I have hesitated to preach things that would have been helpful to them. 
I have not declared to all of those around me the truth about God's grace. In fact, on many occasions, I've actively shirked my responsibility to do that. I've been too worried about offending people, too scared that they wouldn't respond well, too nervous that I might create some sort of social awkwardness, too anxious for my own reputation. I'm not sure that I could say that I've considered my life to be worth nothing to me. I've been much too concerned with this life. I'm not focused enough on the eternity that I'm going to spend with Jesus. I'm not focused enough on on the lives of others and needing to help them to understand the gospel. Sometimes I've not loved people enough to tell them the truth, that they are headed for God's judgment and that unless they repent of their sin and turn to Jesus, that that judgment's not going to end well for them. Now, most people who know me would probably know that I'm a Christian. They may know that I I help to lead a church. But have I truly told them all what that means? Have I loved people enough to share the truth of the gospel that's changed my life? Honestly, I fear, I know often that I haven't. And as I've prepped this talk, I've just become so convicted of that. And I wonder if listening here, you may feel the same. I actually honestly felt under spiritual attack as I prepped this. It's usually a good sign, to be honest, that God is prompting me to say something that the devil doesn't want me to say. I said, I know the devil does not want me to bring a message to you where I encourage us to be bolder in sharing the gospel. Of course he does, not that's the last thing the devil wants. But I think that's what God wants me to do today, is just to encourage us, guys. We need to be brave. At various points as I prepped this preach, I actually just had to come away from it. I was just so kind of getting frustrated with it and finding it difficult. And I I took a couple of walks just to clear my head. And one of those walks, I walked past a postman just out on his rounds. And he reminded me as I saw him of a story from in the news in 2012 of a postman in Manchester who was given nine years in prison, so nine months in prison, because police found 75,000 items of unopened post in his garden shed that he'd never delivered. And that was just the tip of the iceberg. That was just the stuff he never opened. There was loads of other posts that he had opened and he'd stolen from. He'd pinched people's gift vouchers and birthday presents and all sorts of stuff from the from the stuff he was supposed to deliver. Now, it's, this isn't a perfect metaphor, of course, but I do think sometimes there's a connection between that, this idea of a postman who never delivers what he's supposed to do, and, and maybe sometimes there's other Christians who fail to share the gospel as much as we should. We may not be called, like Paul, to travel widely, travel around the world and preach in public places, but like a local postman, we've been entrusted to deliver a message to specific people in our lives, in our locality, our families, our friends, our work colleagues. We have a post route, if you like, which we're supposed to to deliver. Now, some people that we deliver that post to may just treat it like junk mail and chuck it out, and that's fine as long as we've delivered it and we've done our bit. But for other people, they might receive that post, they receive that message of the gospel, and it might be the greatest gift they've ever had. It should be the greatest gift they've ever had. But sometimes we are just like this dodgy postman, aren't we? We don't deliver what we're supposed to deliver. We keep it to ourselves. We we stick it in a shed. We decide either out of laziness or fear that we're not going to do it. Even greed, maybe we're just enjoying our own Christian walk with God and our friends, our Christian friends so much that we, we don't actually get around to sharing it with other people. I want to leave us with some final thoughts this morning. If you're a Christian watching this this morning, I do think it's time to be honest with ourselves. Look, we may not be called to be full-on travelling apostles like Paul, but he's put us somewhere. He's given each of us a platform. He's given us a faith. 
and then a platform to share that faith. He's put us somewhere. He's given us a postal route. Guys, it's time to deliver. It's time to be bold and to be brave, especially now in, a, in an aching, hurting world, which is just searching for solutions. We have the solution. We need to let those around us know, not just that we're a Christian, but what that means to know the gospel that has changed our lives, your life. And let me just say, look, we're under grace. If we mess it up, God will forgive us. If we miss an opportunity, if we chicken out, we're forgiven. Don't, I don't want you to, to come away totally condemned this morning, but I do want you to come away challenged. Are you doing what you could do? Can, like Paul, can you say, I've, I've taken every opportunity I could to share this gospel? And we know, look, our destiny is secure. Our lives on earth are short when we have something that's secure and amazing to look forward to in heaven. So the worst that can happen, you know, we're never going to lose our salvation. We've got it. We're going to heaven. We're going to be with Jesus. So we might as well make the days we have on this earth count before we get to the real uh, excitement of it all. So let's not give up, Christians. <laughs> let's not stay quiet. We have the cure to the problems of the world. We have a beautiful, vital message to deliver. Let's love people enough to tell them the truth and give them the opportunity to enjoy the eternity with God that we're going to enjoy too. And if you're not a Christian watching this, if it's never been spelled out to you as honestly and blatantly as this, I want to ask you this today. Has what Paul calls the whole will of God been expressed to you? Has that letter ever fallen through your letterbox? Maybe it's coming through your letterbox right now as I speak to you. Have you opened it? Have you responded to the good news within it? Have you been told clearly that God desperately wants to rescue you from a life of sin, which is leading you to hell? And that as he taught, have you realised that he has provided you with the rescue from that life? He's provided you that the blood of his son, Jesus, that you don't have to earn it. There's nothing you have to do. You don't have to be a good person. All you have to do is just believe in Jesus, accept him as your saviour and accept his forgiveness for you. Have you been told that Christianity, far from just giving you a, a load of rules and regulations that make your life boring, it doesn't do that. It gives you hope and certainty of eternal life, which will utterly change your whole way of thinking and give you a joy that you could never even have imagined. You'll be infinitely more satisfying than anything you could ever find on this earth. And you will have an eternal destiny in a place which will be free of all the problems and pains of this world. If you've never heard that before, can I ask you this morning, don't treat this as junk mail. Don't throw it in the bin. Open it, understand it and respond to it because God wants to rescue you this morning. Let me just finish with prayer. Lord God, we thank you so much for your glorious gospel. We thank you for the example that Paul sets, Lord, of, of bringing the gospel to so many people so boldly. And I pray, Lord, for us Christians, Lord, will you help us to be as bold as Paul? We know we're not going to have the same global impact and historic impact as Paul, but we do know that you've asked us to share your gospel. So will you help us to do that faithfully and boldly, Lord? Even this week, will you put us in the position to have conversations with people where we just lay it all out and say, Here's the gospel. Will you accept it? Give us the boldness to do that, Lord, even where we've, where we've chickened out before. And Lord, will you just help us to know and remember that we are under your grace, that even where we failed in the past, Lord, we're covered by the blood of your Lamb. 
we are forgiven and accepted and we'll be forgiven when we mess up again. But help us, Lord, please, to go forward with boldness. And Lord, I pray for anyone who's not a Christian listening this morning. Will you bless them? Will you help them to see your gospel for what it is, to accept you into their lives and to be saved by the blood of the Lamb? In your mighty name, Jesus. Amen.